They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Welcome back, everybody, to the shooting. Yeah, now I can't even introduce my own goddamn show. Here we go. <laughs> oh, fuck. All right, let's try this again. I'm keeping all of this. That's what I'm saying. I think I like that. This is a start. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back, everyone, to Oh, fuck. <laughs> all right, let's start this again. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. As always, I am your host, The Chippa, and I am here with some, actually, a duo of guests. Woohoo! But before I get to them, I'm going to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. They are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, and Collaborating Online. And my newest patrons, Gene, Nicholas Hebe, Cinderelf, and Collaborating Online. And this podcast, like a lot of my shows, is brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week, hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long-forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs. And since this is the first time I've done that intro, and nepotism is in now, the Geeks with Shields are here. Introduce yourselves. Hi. I'm Axel Wright, and with me as always is... Lord Commander Ulrich. And yes, we are here, and I, no matter how many times we come on and you you mention us, I'm I'm always appreciative and thankful because I'm simple-minded. Let's go with that. But let's just get <laughs> very appreciative. Glad well, to be I, here. I appreciate you guys having me on, and I also appreciate, I was told by Ulrich recently, that you guys have decided I am a S.H.I.E.L.D. brother. Yeah, I mean, you do this with this with this whatever you will but as far as we're concerned you are you know more than just a guest uh, even a frequent guest you are a shield brother of the geeks with shields well i appreciate and i just i wanted to thank you both i got to thank Ulrich the other day and i wanted to thank you in person and on the air well thank you (laughs) yes uh yes so what for, for everyone out there you know that's a thing um, anyway, what are you guys here for? So when you guys come on, we talk about all kinds of stuff, but we're here to talk Warhammer because you guys have sucked me in, and so now I want to learn about it. <laughs> yeah, our, our primary, our, our primary motive—well, motivation is not the right word—but we we have made it so that Chris is basically our our Warhammer apprentice. We are slowly, like I guess not that slowly. We basically dunked you into it at this point, but today. We're here to give you a, a brief intro, and anyone listening, on another race of uh, Warhammer, the Tyranids, which I would say, uh, to start us off, there are like seven or eight primary races, really. I mean, there's a lot of minor races, but of those, there are two that I would say are pure, unadulterated nightmare fuel, and the Tyranids are one of them. Yeah. There's so, really no aware on it. They are absolutely terrifying. So now, because because you're starting to kind of dip your toes, well, more than your toes, you're kind of getting into Warhammer. Before we before we get into it, I, I'm curious, what do you know about them? Like, you've probably heard us say a couple things. Like, what's in, in your mind about Tyranids, Chris? Well, I, I did hear you say a couple of things about them. And, and the thing that was cool is, you know, um, Ulrich gave me a little list of, hey... You know, he's feeding it to me slow of, you know, okay, pick from these, you know, factions and pick from these races and pick from these. And I had heard the name mentioned before, and most recently I heard you guys mention it um, for those that are listening to this and aren't patrons of yours or aren't 
over on your thing yet and you are Warhammer fans, we're reading or you guys are reading through and I'm reading it through with you because I'm in the book club, um, the first book in the Horus Heresy. Um, which is Horus Rising, and you were talking about in the episode where you talked about murder, um, are the uh, Megarachnid Tyranids. I think you had either mentioned or something, someone mentioned that. Maybe Yeah, Orc brought up that that was a, a, like some people like in reviewing the book were like, brought that up, and I basically emphatically said, no, they are not, but I can see the why people would mention that. <laughs> now, so I don't know a ton about Tyranids, but I... I envisioned the Megarachnid when I was listening to the book, because I'm doing it as a book on tape, as, you know, something out of an armored version of something out of Starship Troopers, which is another way I thought you explained it. And uh, what are the Tyranids? Because that's about really all I know is that it sounds like they're evil and it sounds like they might be a bug. And that's about as far as I can. All right, Auric, um, I know that I think you're, you're going to know more about this than me, but I, considering that Tyranids are like my second favorite race just give me give me a bit here so okay so the the starship troopers thing is already interesting comparison but before we go any further just to use one kind of easy comparison uh, a lot of people have played starcraft do you know much about starcraft yes okay the the three main races in starcraft are in a lot of ways watered down versions of three races from warhammer and that's not to say starcraft is bad or anything i love starcraft but the zerg are basically a watered down version of the tyranids that is the best starting point of comparison because cool. most people know the zerg and understand the zerg so tyranids first of all are a uh, they're a hive organic species they don't have technology as you understand it they're they're just um creatures and animals and arguably they are one animal spread out over many many forms essentially kind of like how your cells in your body are you but also not you there's a lot of different metaphors you can go here but point is that tyranids are uh, they don't have society as we understand it they don't have um diplomats or they are just a a complete force of nature so if you look use the starship troopers kind of parallel it's the similar thing where it seems like it's just a, a mass of biomatter with blades and acid and stuff like that except in starship troopers they're kind of uniform right i mean there's like right. what, th three different types of creatures and the brain bugs really rare the tyranids have like dozens if not hundreds actually really there's kind of an infinite number of different tyranid forms because their main thing that again the, the zerg kind of took from them is that they absorb biomatter and then they mutate and evolve based on the biomatter they absorb their entire goal as a species as far as anyone can tell is the acclimation of more or accumulation sorry of more biomatter you with me so far? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. It, it's so oftentimes, especially when it's something I haven't heard much of, I go in cold because you guys explain it with so much enthusiasm. And so while you're talking, I looked at the first picture I've ever seen of Tyranid and holy shit. Yep. They're really <laughs> yeah, cool totally... and they are terrifying. Oh, they my are, God. They're, they they're nightmare fucking fuel. nightmare fuel. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of ways we can go down here, but I'm gonna um, I'm gonna try to follow Ulrich's up these notes. And Ulrich, if I'm not giving you a chance to butt in, I'm sorry. I just am very excited. So you know, you be you. So first, a big important thing: Tyranids are one of the, I guess, 
technically the only race that we know of that actually within the Warhammer universe don't come from the Milky Way galaxy. They are from somewhere else. Uh, They have shown up in the galaxy three times and their earliest like confirmed appearance uh, happens in about the 35th millennium, I believe. But really, because what happens is they'll have a, a hive fleet which is essentially a big chunk of Tyranids in, in a fleet of bio ships, organic ships, shows up and they make their way slowly across absorbing all the biomatter from a planet. And when I say absorbing the biomatter from a planet, I mean anything that anything that constitutes biomatter, even the atmosphere. So by the time ooh, they're done with ooh, the planet, ooh. it's just a dead rock. Can I break down how it happens? Yeah, sure. I, I'm going to take a lot of this time, so I'll let you have that. Go ahead. Hey, so, real quick, I, I have a weird question. Go ahead. Yeah, because we just started. You said they're the only known thing in the Warhammer canon that comes from outside the Milky Way, or the only well, thing we've encountered? Well, technically speaking, chaos kind of doesn't come from our galaxy either, because the warp is like kind of a parallel right, dimension. Right. And I've, ours. I've, I've touched the warp, or at least I'm assuming after the Samus thing people describing the warp as being something that can manipulate people. I'm going to take that the people in the book are being 100% trustworthy in their description <laughs> of that, even though I can just tell that they're not. Yeah, but but basically, like, all the other major races, like Eldar, Necron, Orc, were, as far as we know, uh, homegrown in our galaxy. In fact, with the Eldar and the Orcs, they were actually made by a race that doesn't exist anymore but used to. The Necron are a little more sketchy, but... No, it's a good distinction because I, you know, this book being my first, and this book and these shows being my first um, toe dipping or, you know, full body jumping into this, uh, that distinction had never been made that most of this is going on within the Milky Way galaxy. Mm. I just assumed because it's sci-fi and they're out there that they're just going fucking everywhere and... <laughs> it but kinda... no, it's actually kind of what makes the one of the things that's most terrifying about the Tyranids is that over the entire course of uh, normally I would wait till the end of the discussion to say this, but since it's appropriate right now, uh, over the course of the Warhammer timeline, three Hive fleets have appeared. Two of them have been repelled and destroyed entirely. Actually, I'm not sure about the second one, but the first one definitely was. The third one is still active currently, but it is hypothesized that these three hive fleets are actually just scouting tendrils of a much, much larger mass of Tyranids out in dark space. And they're sending these things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and there's, all, there's more than three right now. There's, I think, there's there's a bunch more. Like, a bunch more came. Well, no, there are, there are many, like, uh, break-offs, but there's only three primary hive fleets. Hive, well, fleet, Behemoth, hive... hive fleet Behemoth was first. High yes. Fleet Kraken was second, and High yes. Fleet Leviathan is the current one. Now, again, yeah. yes, there no. are there are other like littler ones, like there's High Fleet Ouroboros, which I don't know anything about, and there's a couple others whose names I don't there's, know. Like, these are the ones that are currently in universe. There's Behemoth, Kraken, Leviathan, Gorgon, Jormungandr, Kronos, and Hydra. Well, Behemoth was destroyed. Behemoth doesn't exist anymore. You, so, you know what I love the most about the design of these Tyranids is they range from, like, H.R. Giger-looking things to Lovecraftian-looking things. Oh, that's definitely very accurate. Anyway, and I lo- sorry, I just, I'm, I'm 
No, it's all right. Uh, (laughs) They're very colorful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, Anyway, so keep keep going. Sorry. Auric, assuming assuming they, let's say they hit a planet that doesn't have sentient life on it. We'll say a garden world that hasn't been colonized yet. Go for it. So the first thing that happens, like they they show a planet, they're going to start raining down spores into the atmosphere. And the clouds are going to get, you know, the sky is going to get real cloudy and the air is going to get real thick. And what's happening is little microorganisms are starting to break everything down into goo. Then uh, these this, these spores will coalesce into these big spires and start sucking up all of the nice, tasty goo and taking and transporting it up into the hive ships. Then they will start drilling down and sucking out any nutrients from the soil and beaming it up until there is nothing left but a dry husk of a planet so the only way that a tyranid will back out or that tyranids will back out of an engagement is if they are losing more biomass than they have to gain from the situation which is very rare (laughs) and even then they just kind of you know hit pause and come back yeah oh another important thing so they're coming from outside the galaxy right well what's drawing them here and this is a little bit of a spoiler for you but not really is that uh, the emperor the emperor of man right who exists in a form in the in the warp itself he has something called the astronomicon it's basically a psychic lighthouse that allows yep. hu- human ships to travel through the warp without you know with a modicum of safety well the theory is that that is what's drawing the tyranids into our galaxy that they are drawn by the astronomicon so you know <laughs> Both saves humanity and also possibly doomsday kind of thing going on. <laughs> As you do. Anyway, uh, so if the the Tyranids first showed up with High Fleet Behemoth, which Ulrich mentioned, and the reason they get their name because the the first planet that was where they engaged with Imperial troops and had a record of that survived because they had actually been in our galaxy for a while and they're like the empire or the imperium kept coming across these planets that only 100 years prior were garden worlds and were now dead rocks and they were like wow that's really suspicious but imperial bureaucracy (laughs) yeah the 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 imperial bureaucracy is so bad that basically that information went nowhere (laughs) it just got filed away somewhere a lot of weird stuff happens in this universe tell tell, tell no one tell no one we can't let them know move along (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah But then there was uh, this planet, uh, Tehran, um, which had an imperial outpost on it. An imperial outpost that was, like, it's more than just an outpost. It was a well-fortified enough outpost to be able to handle, a you know, most Xenos attacks. Like your average orc band or something, right? So it had, like, some, you know, planet-side cannons, like, you know, bl- plenty of stuff like that. But then the Tyranid showed up. <laughs> it was not enough because this was an entire high fleet. But at the end of it, even though... The Tyranids took the entire planet. One of the uh, the tech priests managed to ba- make essentially a black box and hide it very, very deep underground. And so when a later Imperium ship came by and said, hey, there's a dead planet that was supposed to be an outpost of the Imperium, check for a black box. And they found recordings of everything that happened. And so then, boom, that planet was called Tyran, so they were called Tyranids. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. They have... They don't speak, so it's not like they have a name for themselves. This is just what we call them. (laughs) 
Well, they don't even have an identity outside of things. Because, like, recently they've kind of, you know, they've had a couple things of what the hive mind is. And it's kind of hard to comprehend. Like, they've had big, like, Omega-level psychers kind of brush up against it. It's like, it's just hungry and all-consuming and angry. Well, it's a little, it's also a little iffy because there are specific creatures within the hive fleet that are uh, synaptic creatures that their job is kind of directing the swarm. They're relay points. Yeah, yeah. So if if Tyranids, like say a small group of Tyranids, like low-level ones, get separated on a planet for some reason, they will basically revert to natural animalistic instinct and not act with any higher function. So you could argue then that it, there's like some organisms within the hive fleet that are more like controlling there is something up there i mean they they do have described the hive mind the hive mind is a sentience to a degree but what it is where it comes from is still iffy because uh how they did, i've heard it described in the most recent book is it's like the smaller tyranids are like fingers like on your hand it doesn't think it doesn't consider think of itself as a finger it just goes when the brain says twitch it twitches and we haven't found the brain yet All right, so I want to move on to something that is uh, pretty important, which is kind of how... Because we're getting kind of into more details of, like, how Tyranids function. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how they absorb a planet. How do they deal with a planet that has uh, a, a population that is going to be a threat? Well, there's... there's a, <laughs> the, We're going to go right into gene stealers. And that's, like, way farther down, but this is the best way to go about this. There is okay. a special kind of Tyranid called a gene stealer and they basically their job is to go down in small packs onto a planet find members of whatever the dominant species is and impregnate them so oh good yeah <laughs> so it's it's similar to like you might be thinking like a xenomorph but except that it doesn't actually kill the host instead what they're doing is they're planting a small parasite essentially inside the body that will slowly warp the the victim's mind until they are a servant of the swarm and it will also modify their G dna so that when they give birth it'll be a tyranid hybrid with whatever the species is and then that'll continue for uh three or four generations and the more that spreads you start having essentially tyranid cults these like underground cults uh, built around these things that are forming in this society but by the fourth generation the tyranid hybrid now is almost indistinguishable from uh whatever the species is in fact they're passable the, yeah well that's, that's wow. third generation by fourth generation they are completely indistinguishable oh. and and by that by that generation they're trying to get into positions of power yeah, yeah. biological so, sleeper cell that's that's, that's, yeah that's exactly what it is wow. the thing is by the, by the fifth generation, all the gene stealer like DNA reasserts itself, and it comes out as a horrific monstrosity. <laughs> and the so, process starts over again. Yep, exactly. That's how gene stealers uh, reproduce. And most Tyranids don't do it that way. Most Tyranids, like the organic forms, are literally just constructed from essentially a queen, or they're constructed directly from bio like lakes, essentially, within the hive fleet. But gene stealers are special. This is their job. So they are prepping a world for invasion. And it can last like 
hundreds of years before the invasion fleet even shows up as they just lay yeah, the groundwork. Yeah, because just kind of slowly meander through space because they got nothing to lose. Yeah, they don't actually fly faster than light, uh, at least not on short. Like, they can't go from, like, one planet in a solar system to another planet in the solar system at, like, really... They can go from, like, one solar system to another pretty fast because they have a basically completely different way of... They don't go through the warp like other species. I, they, I think they actually bend space, if I remember correctly. But it means that on shorter distances, they just have to go really slow. Anyway, so after they've prepped... And then the fleet shows up. Here's the thing I, I wanted to get to as far as this is concerned. Because they are one mind, essentially, and because they have a level of access to the warp, that their mind and the like, the gravity of that, I actually am not sure the details of this, or you can correct me here. They create something called the shadow in the warp, which basically all other like races in the Milky Way communicate through the warp like that's how ftl communication occurs so if you want to send a signal like to another planet you do it through the warp but this shadow that the tyranid fleet creates actually is basically like completely cuts that off so not only are you now a planet with an entire high fleet of tyranids approaching you but they cut off your ability to communicate with any other planet so usually by the time quote-unquote reinforcements show up it's only because they were like patrolling and it's too late you know what I mean? Well, or they noticed, like, wait a second, that plan that, that that's not a good sign. Uh, another fun aspect of the Shadow in the Warp is before the Tyranids arrive, people start having nightmares because every everything that has a soul in 40k has an echo in the warp, it has some connection to it. And the stronger connection you have, then you become a psyker, but everyone's connected. And when it's cut off, they feel this, and it causes a deep, unsettling nightmare, and psychers will go crazy. Some of them will die. Their powers will be diminished. And the best part is they don't know if this is, you know, just a coincidence that the Tyranids have or this is something they planned. But you sense this, this dread just permeates a planet before they even show up, which I always thought was that just, that's icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Oh, and in case it wasn't obvious, they don't have, because I said they don't have technology, generally speaking, they're just going to cut you and bite you and acid at you. But some of them can do things like shoot swarms of parasites at you. <laughs> like oh, this yeah. is how they, they engage in war. So anyway, it's just deeper, deeper and deeper we get. Nightmare fuel, nightmare uh -huh. fuel. Yeah. So at this point, before we go much farther, I'm curious because I've been... I've been just speaking at you mostly. What what are your thoughts? First questions that come to mind. Oh, one, these things are insane. Number one, N number two, um, outside of the the canon and the stories, do can you play as Tyranids or are they like yes. an NPC like evil thing that just shows no, up to they fuck? They are an with army. You? you can play as wow. Tyranids. Wow. Jesus, and yeah. uh, and and like. I mean, obviously, each army and everything follows their own rules, but a thing that kind of invades and fights this way, it just must be weird to control that army in a game setting. They well, take Tyranids, a while yeah, and on, on the tabletop, Tyranids and the Orcs, generally, are the two races that are the most swarmy. Like, you're going to come to the table with a lot of models. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I collected Tyranids briefly, and I ended up selling the army because 
I just I needed so many. And I, I it's like I, I don't want to buy models for an army that I can't play with my other armies as much as I love them. And I probably someday will go back to them because I want to do them in uh, Starship Troopers colors. But you need a lot of them. Like the most basic dudes run in blocks of 30. Wow. And you need a now, lot of those. Now, be, being the way that they are, um, how how often, and again, you know, this doesn't have to be a, a spoiler answer, but how often are these things a, a foil to our to our stories? You know what I mean? Right, like how so, are they are they used by bigger, more sentient um, evil forces to do, or do, are they just kind of an additional annoyance? You know what's actually funny about that? So within the Warhammer universe, because the warp, right, is the uh, for lack of a better term, it's the MacGuffin. You know, it's yeah. the swirling. It does everything. <laughs> yeah, it's this the swirling emotions and psychic powers and demons and all that and fashion light travel, all that stuff. Generally speaking, the quote unquote magic users with the equivalent because uh, you know originally it was Warhammer, and then there's Warhammer 40k are uh, psychers, right? Psychics who can you know cast like lightning and do all sorts of crazy magic stuff. But what they're actually doing is they're tapping into the warp to do that, right? Now in the 40k universe, psychers are constantly at threat of demonic interference because the fact that they are touching the warp means they are going to attract warp entities to them. It's a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's actually very, fairly similar to how it works in Dragon Age, and I think about it. Anyway, but so that's that's a thing. Like, uh, it, you know, the Imperium, they're, the Inquisition's very sketchy about psychers because of this, because like, oh, you're you're pretty susceptible to heresy and demonic influence, and every race has this problem where the more psychic power you use, the more likely a demon's going to take notice of you and start trying to, you know, fuck with you. But Jesus. the one exception is the Tyranids, who have psychers, who do have an effect on the warp with the Shadow of the Warp, but there has been no evidence at all to date that the forces of chaos have any sort of influence over them. There's so, one example. It's a newer yeah. example. Uh, when the Cicatrix Maledictum opened up, which is this big galaxy-spanning rift, literally the galaxy is cut in half right now with the psychic rift, um... Some of the Tyranid fleets got cut in half, and there were reports of them then turning on certain chunks and eating them. The implication being they got tainted by chaos, and the hive mind, you know, severed that and then destroyed it before it could infect the rest of the uh, hive fleet. I would say that's probably because I, I feel like the big reason why chaos generally has been able to affect them is because they are one mind, and that mind is so huge that even the the lords of the the chaos lords can't really affect it. But that's rift, as you just established, probably did a lot of like cutting because their synaptic you know link was probably damaged from it. That opened up many individual tyranids to chaotic interference. But anyway, so to answer your question, Chris. Not really. Nothing like controls them. The Tyranid are kind of their own. Like I said, the be they're best described as a like a force of nature. They are a hurricane that's coming towards you. And like there have been instances of various races that normally hate each other, you know, temporarily teaming up to deal with uh, Tyranids because there's no teaming up with Tyranids. There's no 
manipulating or controlling them. The closest is something we'll talk about in a second, which is the Octarius War. But yeah, nothing nothing manipulates or controls them. Generally, from what I can see, their use in stories is more about uh, horror, just straight up horror, right. and de- and dealing with how other people and other uh, armies handle this, handle this type of adversary. So, gotcha. does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And you also have a note here that I you might have touched upon it in little little language, but this other terrifying thing about the longer you fight them, just they get bigger. Well, they start forming bigger yeah, yeah. bile forms. They're like, it's oh, just, the basic dudes yeah. aren't doing it. Okay, send in something bigger. Oh, that's not doing it? Send in something bigger. It's so cool. So the largest things in, in well, the largest land things, because really the largest things in the Warhammer universe are like space hulks, and that's a whole other thing. But on land are, uh, are called titans, which are these ancient, huge pieces of technology. And they can be, I remember looking up their size just recently. It's like it can be as small as like 30 meters and as tall as like 160 meters or something like that. Size is variable. (laughs) Yeah. But the point is that the biggest ones can be like uh, like Godzilla in the latest Godzilla movies, you know, like that size, right? Maybe even bigger than that. So, and (laughs) Tyranids, if they're desperate, can make bioforms about that size too. Uh, Bio Titans, um, Hive Tyrants, I believe, are what the big Hive ones tyr- are called. No, Hive Tyrants are not on the same scale. Uh, if you're talking Bio uh, Titans, it's the Hierophant, which is a giant acid spewing spider the size of. Yes, a I'm looking at them right now. And the Herodin, which is Rodan that launches flying Tyranids. Yeah, these things are horrifying. Uh huh. All right. Well, yeah, I guess so I, I just, yeah, you're going. right. Hive Titans are much smaller. I've just been thinking, I've been playing Dawn of War Apocalypse mod and they have Titans in it. So I just forgot what the, anyway, I watched, I watched someone make, put a, uh, Im, a Imperial Titan against a bunch of Hierophants. It was really funny. But anyway, yes, they have huge bioforms. There's also one of my personal favorites are Molochs, which are like if you took a, a Graboid from <laughs> Tremors and made it like, 20 times bigger and covered in teeth and blades. <laughs> and they, oh. they they tunnel up, they bring reinforcements with them. Jesus. I want you to keep that one in mind. Keep a Moloch in mind for a story I'm going to tell in, in a bit here. So. Okay. Ah. Anyway, yeah, some other... There's uh, the, the basic form, the one that if you type in Tyranny, you're probably going to see the most of are Gaunts. They're yep. like the the little skittery buggers. So, and gargoyles are the flying ones. And if a high fleet is having a particularly difficult time dealing with an adversary, they can deploy, correct me if I'm wrong, Ulrich, a swarm lord. Well, swarm lords are kind of, they're they're the big directors. Yeah, exactly. They only show up if things are not going well. (laughs) Yeah, well, they're, I think hive tyrants come before for them, like the next one down, and they're the big. Because well, there's only ever one swarm lord at a time. Their their role and their thing what they do is create tact. Because Tyrannus don't really have tactics per se. It appears like they do from an outside perspective, but they operate largely on instinct. Even with the hive mind, that hive mind is operating on kind of a collective, instinctual thing. 
And so if they're getting defeated a lot, a swarm lord is created whose job is to more or less analyze why they're losing and come up with better plans. Well, that's a fun, th- cool thing about Tyranids. It is a frequent tactic is kill the big ones and you'll disrupt the little ones. At least the most basic tactic for fighting Tyranids both in the lore and on the tabletop is kill the big ones. All right, so at which this point, I want to take... Which means lose a lot of your men. Yeah. Well, they also tend to thrash around on the ground afterwards, and some of them send out psychic screams that, you know, cause insanity and aneurysms. My name is Gebetto Funkin, one shoe stumble, knackle timber shivers, at your service. I'm looking for some friends of mine. The Many Pennies? The Many Pennies. Them. I know we've been really busy, but I think that all we need to do is just tackle the next thing on this 24-item to-do list, and we'll be fine. Someone bring me some food. Also, my flask is empty. I need a refill. Nobody panic. I may have lost several scorpions. I said nobody panic. Check out this new skin patch on my cloak, guys. Guys? You know... I might be looking for someone else. I don't blame you. Adventure Incorporated, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition actual play adventure podcast. New episodes every Monday. Find us at adventureinkpod.com. So at this point, I'd like to go over a couple of the, the big important things that have happened with Tyranids. I'm going to give most of the first ones of these to Ulrich because... So that first behemoth fleet that we mentioned, after it fucked with Tehran, it basically headed right into space that was controlled by the Ultramarines, which is the chapter of well, chapter of Space Marines that is the most uh, numerous. That's the word. The, the, the community collectively, jokingly calls them Smurfs because they're blue, but they're also Ulrich's army, uh, funny enough. So... And not only did they go into ultramarine space, they went towards the ultramarine homeworld, McCrag. Ulrich, yeah. you want to take that? Yeah, so to put this in perspective, McCrag is the homeworld of the Ultramar system, which is the home of where the ultramarines come from. So it's pretty well defended. And the Tyranids beat their way through all the defenses right up to the front door, and the ultramarines... They uh, did a final last heroic stand of their first company, which is 100 veterans with the best equipment possible, and they were killed to a man. The entire first company was wiped out, and the chapter master, which is the guy that was in charge of them at the time, had both of his arms and legs ripped off, and they had to be replaced with cybernetics. And by the way, I, I know saying like 100 doesn't sound like a lot, and th- this is a, a fandom that... You- can regularly have like millions of things happening, which also remember, and you've been reading the book, so you get this, that one space Marine could probably mow his way through thousands and thousands of regular yes. people. And so, these yeah. are guys that have hundreds and hundreds of years of experience fighting with the best weapons possible in a defensive situation. The only way they were able to win was they launched a bioweapon at the, uh, hive fleet and managed to kill the Norn Queen, which is the thing inside the hive ship that's pumping everything out. Well, by technically by bio, well, okay, I actually don't know about that one, so I'll take your word for it because again, ultramarines. But I do know that they also crashed one of their larger ships directly into the hive fleet's main ship, creating a essentially a warp black hole that sucked in a lot of it. 
Oh, that, that, was a, that was another time. They came back. And here's the crazy thing that about Tyranids that Axel appreciate. They're like the Borg. You can't really kill them the same way twice because they adapt. In fact, that I first started... Uh, Biopoison, that won't work again because they adapted and like, okay, and we're shutting off that route. In fact, I first learned about the Tyranids really because... I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Like Star Trek's a huge thing for me, and the Borg are one of the most terrifying entities in fiction for me yep. because they don't just kill you; they force you to be a prisoner in your own body. Ugh. Anyway, uh, so then was like five or six years ago or something like that. I'm talking about this, and Ulrich's like, "All right, who do you think would win, Borg or Tyranid?" And I didn't know much about the Tyranid. I knew they were basically like the Zerg. That's all I knew. And I was like, "Oh, you know, Borg could do this, this," and uh, I'll go look, research it. And I, I Google Borg versus Tyranid. Top's result was a Reddit forum where someone asked this question, and the most liked reply, the highest one, was simply, "What did the Borg ever do to you to deserve that?" <laughs> and yeah, the more I read about it, the more I realized that again, you can't really pit anything that's not from the Warhammer universe against something in the Warhammer universe. It's just they're different levels. <laughs> yeah. So the second big battle to talk about, and this is a new one, is uh, the Siege of Ball. And Ball is the home world of the Blood Angels Space Marines. Yep. And so here comes a big old Tyranid Hive fleet wanting to munch on them. And they're fighting it back. They're fighting it back. And they send out the call like, hey, every single Blood Angel and descendant of the Blood Angels needs to come home and help us or we're going to lose. So literally thousands of space marines descend on one of the most heavily defended planets to fight back this Tyranid invasion. And it gets to the point that they are fighting at the very gates of their fortress monastery themselves, going, all right, guys, it's over. It's been a good run. The only reason they won was because at that exact moment, the galaxy split in half and cut off the Hive Fleet from, you know, the rest of it. And demons started pouring out and fighting the Tyranids. Holy shit. Yes, that is a, that's a book you can read. It is really good. <laughs> and by the way, since demons are the other nightmare fuel, I, I love the concept of them fighting each other. So... They stacked a mountain of skulls so big it could be seen from space. Another thing <laughs> I've also realized <laughs> is that chaos, right, their goal... Right, because Chaos is four different lords that each rule over their own domain, and they are empowered by the material realm, by emotions in the material realm, and their goal is to get more power, get more power over the other Chaos lords, over the physical realm. But if there was no one sentient in the physical realm giving them, feeding them through emotion, they wouldn't exist. That's the, the prevailing theory, anyway. And since... The Tyranids don't feel, and their entire thing is to completely absorb all biomatter. They are antithetical to what Chaos wants. Get me? <laughs> yes. Anyway, side note. <laughs> Continue, Auric, with Vale. So, yeah. So, the whole... You know, there's, the, the Blitters are going, what the hell happened? And that's, you know, when... Uh, Gilliman, the Primarch, returns like, hey guys, I want reinforcements. And they've spent, you know, last hundred years trying to get the Tyranids back out of their system. That's still an ongoing war because when Tyranids show up, they don't go away. 
Yeah, which was funny because uh, there's a lot of things that are similar between Tyranids and my army, the Orcs, like that once they show up, it's really difficult to get them going. They're a swarm race. They have a collective kind of psychic thing going on. And so that was kind of like a, a big question. I don't know. I didn't mean if I, I don't know if I cut you off, but it sounded like nope, you got to the yeah, end of the bail thing. That's the end of the battle for ball. All right. So that was Hive Fleet Kraken, if I remember correctly, right? Was that ball? Yeah, I think that's Kraken, yeah. All right, so then cut to, I don't know how, uh, let's see, uh, I'm going to pull up some information just so I can give you exact time. So uh, in Millennium 41st year 997, so near the end of the 41st millennium, we have High Fleet Leviathan, which is the largest of the, the Tyranid fleets to ever come into the Milky Way galaxy. And it is fucking up humanity, pardon my language but it is like the imperium is having a really hard time dealing with this so then this one inquisitor whose name is a uh, cryptman yeah inquisitor cryptman who had had experience with the tyrannus before in fact at one point cryptman raised and completely like exterminatus exterminatus is when an imperium basically turns a planet into a rock by just bombarding it from space mm-hmm. he did that to human planets just to keep the Tyranids from consuming them. <laughs> He's a not a great guy, but he knows how to handle. You gotta he, do it. <laughs> gotta yeah. cut off the food supply. So what? So what? Crippman thought is, all right, we're having a hard time with this fleet. What if I pit them against another one of our enemies to weaken them both, and then we can just deal with them at the end so by doing a series of uh you know capturing some gene stealers uh crashing a space hulk into like some stuff destroying an entire moon it it was a weird series of events but he managed to divert the uh the leviathan fleet towards the octarius empire which was an orc empire of like i don't know like seven planets or something like that with um I can't remember what the main planet. The, it's like Octarius or something like that. But it's this is where it gets its name. Anyway, he diverted a Leviathan, the Leviathan fleet towards this orc empire. So now we got to actually see. All right, what happens when a really established uh, group of orcs or you know empire of orcs comes up against a Tyranid fleet? And what was really interesting about this is that we find that something really interesting emerges here the tyranids in general start decimating the orcs they consume like all but one of the planets entirely but it's not always a simple thing on like the third planet or something there's an orc warlord whose name escapes me right now who is particularly cunning and manages to start beating back the tyranids and the tyranids recognize this and so then they do everything they can to deal with that one warlord and eventually they managed to draw him out on his own uh with to you know he was chasing them for the you know glory of the wa and then once they got him on his own they managed to kill him and once they killed him they just mopped up the rest of the planet and when i'm so the reason i'm saying it this way is that you find that as far as pure armies are concerned the tyranids are basically the most powerful army but they're because they rely on instincts and even their swarm lord is only so much more a single well, like, really good leader is what's required on the other side to handle them. Because as the Octarius War goes on, and they get to the the final planet where the overfiend of Octarius, the, the high, high uh, orc warlord is, although he doesn't really matter for this story. So, they start, you know, fighting there. It's 
it's not a standstill. The orcs are getting pushed back slowly, and they're they're really running out of time. And then after a while, suddenly Gazkul Magurak Thraka, the biggest, baddest orc of them all, and my favorite named character in all of Warhammer, <laughs> he shows up with his wah, because he just does that. And he managed to... there was a good fight. Yeah, here there's a good fight. So he shows up. At one point, he gets eaten by a Moloch, one of those giant graboid things, uh-huh. and he just cuts his way out of it so, and kills That's it from the awesome. inside. Yeah. And because the orcs function on this kind of like, hey, if we are enough of us together and we believe something, then it becomes true, Gaskul inspires the orcs so much that they start beating back the Tyranids. And they, like completely push them back and while Gaskul's on planet the orcs start winning like handily but unfortunately for the orcs of Octarius Gaskul has other plans so he takes like half the orcs from Octarius and is like all right now that I saved you from imminent death you're coming with me because we're going off to fight the empire because that's where the good fight is so Gaskul left (laughs) with like a bunch of the orcs (laughs) and left the Tyranids are still there uh, other races showed up, like the Eldar got involved at one point. S- the some skull hunting chaos showed up and got a bunch of like a bunch of Terranid skulls. The Actarius War is still ongoing currently. With basically what happened is Critman thought that if he pit the Tyranid against the Orcs, one would come out and that would be weak and they deal with it. But what, en- what ended up happening is that the Tyranids are consuming the Orcs and growing bigger. The Orcs. Their entire biology is that the more violence they are in, the bigger and meaner and tougher they get. So the orcs are getting bigger and bigger as well, and both sides are just getting more and more powerful as this fight goes on. Not a good plan. <laughs> just charging a big dangerous battery. Yep. Yes. So whoever whoever it ends up winning is going to actually be like a lot stronger than they were to begin with. So Critman's plan heavily backfired. Oh, and also as a side note, Gazkul is currently leading a fleet of like a million orc ships right to the heart of Imperial space. So, you know, also not good for the Imperium. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not here to talk about Gazkul. We're here to talk about Tyranids. So those are like the kind of the biggest in-world Tyranid things to be happening. Uh, And I'd like to, again, bring us around to, so now... Do you have any questions or thoughts? It's just, it's really cool. The, the more I learn of how deep this goes, that there's this much thought being put into it. Like there, this, um, you know, like you said, the, the orcs, which are kind of a, the orcs are, a, you know, more civilized, you know, with more control and generals and stuff. It's funny. I never heard it, the word "civilized" applied to orcs, but you. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. More, more. Um, not the the word "civilized" is the wrong thing. Um, they're mobilized. They're they're there's rules and regulations and tactics, and the uh, the Tyranids don't have that. And it's just it's really cool that this um, the world that they've created here allows for all of this difference. This is what I keep learning that it's not it's not very one note about anything, and I and I like that. That's why I love this, you know, universe is it's got the benefit of 20 plus almost 30 years or yeah, about 30 years of just development and building and layering. So that you know, I mean, there you we well, you could talk about the end till the end of time and probably not cover every single 
factoid of interest about the 40k universe. Well, it is funny because since it comes from a tabletop war game, a lot of the stories are about, you know, big, big battles, right? Either that or uh, great figures, right? But so that's where you get things like the Octarius War, which is this crazy, you know, conflict between two very alien races and huge, you know, battles and whatnot. And that's that's interesting. And it, what's especially funny is that the Tyranids are very, very serious, right? Like I said, they are just horror monsters. But the orcs are the closest thing to comedy in in Warhammer. Really, they are ridiculous. They were literally uh, they were originally developed to be based off soccer hooligans. That's why they all speak uh. in cocky accents and love colors. So, so yeah, they're they're like this goofy comedic. I mean, they're they're horrifying and they love violence and murder and blood. But they're also really funny. So pitting them against what is one of the two most serious races, the other probably being the Necron is like inherently interesting and then that's very different from as far as like the warhammer universe is concerned following a story about an inquisitor which can be like uh eisenhorn stories or almost like noir stories where you right. follow just so yeah that this warhammer isn't just one thing yes most of it is like big scale battle stuff but you want a you know you know more personal story there's stuff for that for the inquisition there's even stuff for that for the tau where there's like some like tau figures that are interesting and have like you know individual it's funny there's this one tau that's very much like admiral yi but anyway yep tangent so yes any kind of genre you can think of well Maybe not any kind, but most of them are present. They're getting Some. there. They just launched a mystery series, and there's a horror series. And I'm particularly interested in the horror series, because there's some real potential to be done with Tyranids and horror. Or chaos and horror. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God, yeah. Well, because our first our first uh, live-action Warhammer show is going to be on Inquisitor Eisenhorn, which means it's probably going to be a, you know, mystery noir drama dealing with like possession and paranoia and cults and stuff like that. So. I, I honestly can't wait for that now. And I, and before doing all this, I probably wouldn't have given it a second look just, just from the, uh, my view of it being, it was an insurmountable fandom to get into was, was literally how I looked at it. And you guys are doing a very good job of <laughs> helping walk in. <laughs> you know what I mean? To that. Now, I don't because you know having you guys on and talking about this, we're going to learn more about other races. But to, to, now that I've learned about the Tyranids, to go back because I have now encountered Megarachnids in in a book that I've you know I'm reading. You know we encountered them that one time. They didn't really go into much detail, and we're still there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but um, so z zero, zero connection. I mean, Xenos are the aliens in this universe, right? That's but um you know. Are, are the Megarachnid even, um, and again, I don't want to go into too much detail on but are they even mobilized? Can they go planet to planet, or are they just kind of, they happen upon the one planet these stupid things are on? I mean, I haven't Without read the rest of the book. Spoiling. So, I, yeah, here, here's I what I was here's, spoil anything. So I don't, and since I can't spoil anything, because you're actually farther than me, Chris, by like two chapters or something like that. Right, so I, That's I, why, I and, say I, and that, I'm trying not to spoil that either. That's why I'm... Yeah. Here's why I say Megarachnids are, are definitely not Tyranids. Very simply put, the Megarachnids, from what I have read, as you just put it, first of all, are very contained. It, it is 
there is, I admit, a non-zero possibility that like an ancient high fleet might have had some Tyranids drop off on this planet and then they evolved into the Megarachnids. It's just highly unlikely that they would evolve into such a single form. Like the fact that the Megarachnids yeah. only have like from what I can see, three or four forms is well, too constrained for a Tyranid offshoot. We do know, we do have one confirmation of a Tyranid bioform going native, and that's the Fenrisian Kraken. That's still only one creature, though, not a species. Yeah, that's the only real thing. Like, it is a Tyranid bioform that's been cut off from the hive, that has mutated and changed into something entirely different. And that's, if, the reason the Megarachnids most likely aren't Tyranids is if they were able to build that level of a, uh, society isn't the right word, but they've, they've become a collective enough, they would then start trying to contact the hive mind. The other thing is... They are way, 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 way too early to be in the universe. Well, that's again, that it depends because there are some evidence to suggest there's a one planet. I don't remember what the planet is, but I was reading about this just the other day where the Empire recently discovered a frozen, crashed Tyranid hive ship that had been oh. uh, like under the planet for or in the ice of the planet for thousands and thousands of years like as far back as i i want to say like the 32nd millennium or something like that so yeah, but the only problem is is they have now established what first drew the tyranids to the milky way galaxy well if it was the happens, astronomicon it was before that actually they've now said oh. there's another thing uh, at one point during the heresy, there's a thing called the Pharaoh's Beacon, which was a pseudo, which acted, it was a weird piece of xenotechnology that acted like the Astronomicon, but it was oh, yeah, also a teleporter. Uh -huh. And when it blew up, the book ends with, and this uh, creature of a thousand minds stirred and started making its way towards the galaxy. So that yeah, is now but the again, new that, one that to say this is where they – it's widely accepted. This is the general – there's no hard answers in 40K because Games Workshop yeah. doesn't believe in hard answers. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm I, agreeing with you that, like, the Tyranids probably weren't around before, like, the 32nd millennium. But I'm just saying that because the existence of things like a crashed hive fleet frozen on a planet that's been there for a long – it's funny because when the Imperium finds it, they're like, okay, we need to destroy it somehow without waking it up. <laughs> so – but anyway, the, the, that kind of has this idea that the Tyranids have been poking around for, you know, upwards of 10,000 years. So. Yeah, because that's the thing is the Kraken's been on Fenris since Russ's time, and that doesn't make sense if the Tyranids aren't supposed to, you know, even begin migrating in this direction until post-heresy. And if the fleets really are just, like, scouting parties, that it's, you know, perfectly reasonable that maybe another fleet well before the 31st millennium even uh, came in and was destroyed or stopped before it's... I mean... 
doesn't it not make sense that during like the golden age of technology when humans had crazy super tech like easily at their disposal and the STCs that they could have been able to you know f- uh, throw off a you know maybe a smaller Tyrian fleet that had popped in? Yeah, because now there's rumblings that the Necrons have something to do with the Tyranids. That's weird. I mean, I want to see Necrons fight Tyranids because Necrons are literally the race Ooh. that doesn't have biomatter. But I yeah, don't it's, know how they would. It's a weird it. bit of lore that everyone's kind of like, "What the hell does that mean?" And you know, it's recent, so that's all we have is one little article to go. Yeah, this may have happened from an unreliable source, and here's unreliable dialogue. So yeah, Tyranid origins are weird. But uh, let's do this around, Chris. Q and A's. What do you want to know about Tyranids that we didn't tell you? I mean, you guys did a damn good job of covering it. I, uh, I mean, it, it's it's crazy to think of something that just has no motive. You know what I mean? Other than to spread. You know, it, it it's like it's like a sentient disease. You know, and I I I think yeah, that's really, of. I think that's really cool, especially because my whole exposure so far is following nothing but people with motive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So the characters. That's what makes the Tyrion. It's so alien. Yeah, <laughs> and and I and I like that that they 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 pepper in all of this other stuff to make it not just be you know like a rah rah war book, you know where you're following. And it, it's cool because while we were talking, I just thought you know how crazy would it be, it you know if in in like a video game world, let's say for example, that you just had like a Zelda like game where you walk through a world with Warhammer shit on it. Like, there's a freaking Warhammer battle going on, but maybe you're more like a, um, what do they call them, a Remembrancer or something, running around, like, photographing it, you know, or or it just, there's, I have these yeah. visions when I listen to this stuff now of, like, it, it's very, um, it's very lush and vibrant and full of stuff. And I, I didn't expect that necessarily. I, I think I think my my interpretation of just what I knew from growing up with it was no, these are going to be books about wars, and and that's literally it. And it's way more than that. Yeah, of course that does exist. But yes, there is more. <laughs> By the way, as a as an addition, I forgot to add one of my favorite things about the Octarius War. Simply put, that war was happening on every scale. And what I mean by that is that. There were orc warships fighting hive ships. There were orc like dreadnoughts and death dreads on the ground fighting Tyranid biotitans. There was orc infantry fighting Tyranid gaunts. And even on a microbe level, there were Tyranid phage cells that were consuming and fighting against orc spores. So the fact that that's oh, like part of it is really neat. I just me. realized we forgot to talk about spore mines. Oh, go for it. So, yeah. yeah. Spore mines are these little insidious things that Tyranids in the high fleet just casts off and they drift down and then they just drift until they sense something alive and then they explode, showering uh, bioacid. Oh. Yeah, and they would just, you know, even after a Tyranid, you know, uh, fleet's been seen off, they'll just continue to blow in the wind, you know, going along the most basic of basic. Yeah, I mean, I, I've read some. I think for me, one of the most horrifying things was I don't remember what it was called, but there's a a 
a tyranid bioform that is just a big lumbering thing that it just opens up its chest and a swarm of tiny, tiny parasitic creatures oh, comes out. It, it it gets in all the cracks of your armor and it gets to your flesh. It just consumes oh, you. I forget which one that was. But yeah, there's a couple. And there's a bigger one that does that, but it's got a big cannon on its back that just shoots uh, parasitic phlegm balls. Oh. Over long range. Just seems so pleasant yeah. to be around these things. Oh yeah, they're, yeah. they're horrible. They're really fun to read about because you know the book. Like, oh boy, how are they going to you know defeat this? This this is actually why I'm really glad that for the don't get me wrong, I love the Tyranids. I love these big crazy battles. But the exact reason Chris just said that it's easy to look at Warhammer from the outside and be like, it's just wars. I'm glad that the first live action show is going to focus on an Inquisitor because that's going yeah. to be a much that's a much smaller scale thing. This is just one guy dealing with cults and and demonic uh, worship and stuff like that. And all this stuff can be like peppered in in the background and conversations and whatnot. But it means that to a an average audience isn't getting thrown right into this scale of things, you know? Oh, it's the well, perfect point of entry. It, it really is. And, you know, and that's to, to uh, you know... To, to Ulrich's favor on picking the book that you guys picked for the book club, it, you know, again, I had a little bit of a background in what was going on with Warhammer from you guys, but I feel that book is doing a really cool um, duality of jumping around and delivering the material of, okay, we're going to describe a war for a chapter. Okay, now we're going to, you know, introduce characters that are questioning why they're doing what they're doing. It's doing a very good job of sticking you in in the middle of a story but giving reasons for characters to explain why they're there and what they're doing that feel natural instead of like, feel like, Oh, they're doing this because they have to. It feels like, Oh no, it makes sense that we wouldn't really be learning about this until right now. And okay. It makes sense now with these remembrancers around that um, this character is going to tell all these stories of his earlier glories. And the first day he met the war master and all this. And it, it's a really great way to get into a book because I've read um, Dungeons and Dragons books before that, you know, are like supposed to be the beginning of like a trilogy of books and you need, you know, another thousand page book to tell you what was going on to get into it. And I love stuff like that. You know, I, a lot of it's very stereotypical and you can pick up on it quick if you know the universe. But this I felt coming in cold you know, it, it not not everything makes sense to me, but the book's done a pretty good job of establishing these are the rules, these are the people playing within these rules, and um, it's unsafe and it's going to get shattered. You know what I mean? And I and, and I like that, and I like learning that there's still more of these like just evil, nasty little things on top of everything else I've already learned. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like hearing it because I was super hearing that because i was super interested in how because like as you said you've got a bit of a background we've been kind of we had already talked to you about like the imperium before you started reading but still it's just us conversing with you it's not the same thing as like you know Ulrich's years of of playing and my you know less years but you know i i, I every now and then i'll do a deep dive and just sit on the the warhammer wiki for like four hours <laughs> yeah so so i was curious that it's hard for me to gauge uh, that in that book specifically with Horus Rising. I'm liking it, but it is hard to gauge. Like, how would someone who doesn't have a somewhat of a background handle this? And it sounds to me 
based on your description, that it's handling it pretty well. <laughs> right. And again, I, you know, I think if someone is completely disinterested in, in the genre, which, you know, I, I like fantasy. I like, you know, I like sci-fi. This is kind of an amalgam of both, you know, I'm kind of the right crowd for this, but it's really easy to step away from it and go, no, too much, too much, <laughs> you know, for, for someone that doesn't, but man, the, what I what I've really enjoyed is that the characters, even the minor characters, they do a lot with personality and character for them. Like just one, you know, oh, and then this guy's general shows up and is talking to him, and you get like, you you get a feeling for who that guy is, and I didn't expect that. I expected, you know, during the war moments, this is going to be just a lot of one note grunt like type conversation. And instead it's like, I can see this playing out. Holy crap. <laughs> you know, instead, and I, I really appreciate that about it. Instead we have a uh, Lord commander Eidolon being what you're talking about and all the other characters being like, yeah, that guy sucks. <laughs> oh, uh, I saw that. I haven't listened to your most recent one yet, but that was great. <laughs> Was it Eidolon sucks or fuck you, Eidolon? Fuck Eidolon. Like yeah, fuck Eidolon. Yeah, Eidolon's just a piece of shit. That's what it comes down to. You know what really saddens me about that? That back in high school, when I first like got internet, essentially, and made a gamer tag, I had been playing Final Fantasy VIII, so I named my, my gamer tag to this day as Eidolon Wolf. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Now I got this weird association. Ugh. But it's funny, because in regards to characters, right, like... Tyranids don't have characters, so you got to tr- you what they the function they serve at least narratively in their stories is so is a different kind of function, but it shows a kind of uh, flexibility that we're kind of talking about, right? Like again, even though I think the comparison falls apart in a lot of other ways, comparing them to the Borg makes sense because before the Borg Queen showed up and screwed up this whole thing, the Borg were that same kind of they are you don't negotiate with them, you don't. You know, there's no diplomacy. There's no talking with them. There's no individuals. They just are a thing. You have to survive and beat back. And what was interesting is how the other characters deal with that. And the Tyranids serve that function in the Warhammer universe, where it's like, all right, Tyranid fleet shows up. The interesting stories are going to be, hey, how does the Lord Commander of McCrag handle this? What kind of decisions does he have to make as he watches his, you know, companies getting eaten and consumed and thrown into bio lakes and like that's where the interesting from a narrative standpoint stuff comes in yeah. right Ulrich? <laughs> yeah anyway <laughs> i don't know how long yours things generally go but we've been talking for about an hour and no i was ab- i was about to say you know like i said we could do this for six hours and i'm sure we could still be talking but yeah it, it's one in the morning for me um but i uh you know, can't, can't wait to have you guys on again. And it always doesn't have to be about Warhammer, but I find this super interesting. So <laughs> it's helping me a lot. And hey, your your last episode as of this recording dropped two days ago. So, yeah. And perhaps uh, perhaps next time we come on, we'll, we'll choose a race that I'm not as fanatical about so that Ulrich can spend more time talking. <laughs> I feel bad <laughs> in hindsight. Considering I led to the Mechanicum, this is feels this feels fair. Uh, that's and, true. And considering and considering Ulrich and I got to record a couple bucklers, you know, we needed some Axel talking because I was I, I was I was sad that you weren't there, dude. 
I, I don't remember that. That I, I vaguely remember Ulrich sending me a message. I, I must have been something must have happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's I mean it was actually fun because he had just told me that I that I had um you guys had you know declared me a shield brother, so I got to you know <laughs> this is uh, this is all Lord Commander Ulrich and his newly appointed shield brother Chris Chipman. So it was kind of fun. Ah, <laughs> oh, I look forward to hearing that. <laughs> it was fun. I just I also felt kind of bad because I'm like man th- this. It's weird, you know, it, it's weird to not have the three of us talking. And that's why I messed up earlier and didn't realize it was my show because I feel like it doesn't matter whose show it is when, when we get on and do this stuff. I agree. I like the three of us chilling. So, <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go to bed because um, I still have to go to work for a few hours a day. Uh. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, um, thank you guys for coming on and talking about the Tyranids. Um, thank you for shooting the shit with Chip about Warhammer once again. Um, tell the world where they can find you. All right, Ulrich, you're better at this than I am. You can find us on the social medias at Geeks with Shields, as well as most of the podcast hosting sites under Geeks with Shields. If we aren't on there, you want to get in contact with us? We're just shoot us a message on Facebook, and we'll point you in the right direction. We also have a Patreon. Yes, yes. Patreon. We're on all Go. the things. Yes, Patreon, most important right now. People got to eat. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you all again soon. All, all right. right. Bye.